There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Radio. I'm your host, Josh Webb, a.k.a. Fight on Twist, my man, Joe McAtee, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. after an historic evening or something. I don't know. Oh, However you see last night is all on you. What was so historic? I was busy, but I didn't see anything. What happened last night? Oh, yeah. yeah, what happened last night? I don't know. Mm. It's just DC, I, man. We don't have any big. I, I heard they did something like they had a gathering of people who all got to vote for something. I don't know. It seemed like it was important. I voted for Harambe. Uh, dude, I was reading an article today that apparently there were, what, like 11,000 votes or 111,000 votes, one of those two that went to Harambe. And I'm like, well, I'm not original, but I'm not so unoriginal. Like, that's still a small populace of the country. At the end of the day, yeah. The one thing I think we can agree on right now, Joe, is that when it comes to leadership, this is such a perfect segue, isn't it? When it comes to leadership, what the heck is going on with the L.A. Rams? Make the Rams great again. Yeah, so here's the deal. I mean, short recap, 3-1 uh, and one start, now down to 3-5. And, five. and uh, because of the loss at home against Carolina Week 9, now they're going on the road for three out of their next four. It's not the way you wanted to get to mid-November, uh, especially after a 3-1 start. But here, here we are, Josh. And the crazy thing about this is, and, and I guess we'll talk to JB a little bit about this uh that's right guys jb long is back and he is going to be talking rams football with us in here in just a moment but the one thing i want to ask you before he comes on i'll make this real quick we were discussing some of the comments made by jeff fisher today saying okay we're going to go back to the running game um why the hell is he just like figuring this stuff out at the midway point of the season like i mean is it does that bother anybody else besides me 
Well, here's the thing. So one of the things Jeff Fisher has a habit of doing is just spouting words uh, and, and not actually meaning them. So here, here's oh, what okay. I would say. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, the, I get the idea of going back to the running game, but there's no reason you had to abandon it in the first place. Plus, when he says, hey, we need to get Todd Gurley more carries, like, you're the, you're the head coach. Couldn't you just say, <laughs> hey, let's run the – if you want to run the ball more, that's kind of your job. You get to do that. You get to tell them, and the offensive coordinator will do what you tell them. But, you know, the, I think part of uh, what rankles so many Rams fans, and I've, you know, having dealt with this for so many years, I'm inured to it, is that he throws out these words as if they're supposed to mean something, as if, oh, we're supposed to say, oh, he gets it. He's going to work on this. The, the favorite hashtag of cynical Rams fans is, of course, we'll fix it. Uh, if it was going to be fixed, it would have been fixed by now. If the Rams were going to run the ball effectively, they would have been running the ball effectively by now. But uh, his penchant for empty words is obviously uh, something that has become a mainstay of his time as a Rams head coach. And I don't see why that uh, would change. And it certainly has it at least through 10 weeks in Los Angeles. And the crazy part about this, and then Scott, I I know you're going to get to uh, JB for us. But the crazy part about all of this is I think you hit the nail on the head, Joe. We're talking about the guy who is in charge. And now all of a sudden, halfway through another losing season campaign, his fifth in a well, way more than fifth in a row, but his fifth in a row at this stop. He's now saying, hey, we need to get our first-round draft pick more carries. Coincidentally, while at the same time saying that their first-round draft pick that they spent, I don't know, basically all their draft capital on, saying, oh yeah, he's not ready. Which one is more concerning to you? The fact that they spent a whole bunch of draft picks on a guy who isn't ready by week nine? I mean, he's a fr- he, I, 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 I don't have the stats in front of me, and I'll shut up after this, but I don't know if there's another first-round player who's not, not starting right now or, you know, hasn't had the opportunity to start, which Goff hasn't had. And there's also not a first-round pick who, like you said, got uh, future draft capital, including first-rounders traded for, that, that isn't being used. Here's what I'd say about the whole Jared Goff not being ready thing. That Part of the problem with losing and part of the problem with the way the Rams have been run under Jeff Fisher is that if you follow the logic, it's a no-win sum. There's a, it's a no-win game. If, if Jared Goff isn't ready, why is he the active backup on game days, right? Case Keenum's an injury away from you having to play Jared Goff anyway. If he's not ready, why isn't Sean Mannion the backup? You drafted him in the third round a year ago, there's a good chance we see a 2015 uh, mid-round pick uh, this Sunday in Bryce Petty if Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't ready to go. Because remember, the Jets already lost Geno Smith. Now Ryan Fitzpatrick's on an MCL knee injury, one of 15 Jets on the injury report to start the week. The Rams have been incredibly fortunate when it comes to health, and obviously that extends to the quarterback position. It just doesn't make a lot of sense if you listen to what he says and follow the logic, whether it's culture change with penalties, whether it's the positivity on the offense or the idea of Jared Goff not being ready uh, despite all the trade to capital that you sent, like you said, and the fact that he's active on game days, none of it makes any sense. No, in the NFL article, the NFL.com article that, that, that you know, we, we referred to people today on the site, you, it has a nice little breakdown in there of just how far behind and, and the exact problems that Jared Goff is having within this system Now, the thing that stands out to me is that he's not making any progression on his reads. Now, I'm like, look, 
if you can't even make progression on your reads by week eight, how the hell is this man a first round draft pick? Don't know. Here's what I'd say is I I don't know what's being asked of him. You got to see. He went to Cal. This is where I'm throwing. I'm going to stop you there. I'm throwing this out. He went to the number fripping what like one public school in the entire nation. Just a bastion of who's who. Their rival, their chief rival, for Pete's sake, is one of the biggest egghead schools there is. We are talking about a guy who started at Cal day one, did everything that he was asked to do there, and graduated. This is a smart man, but he's not making read progressions by week eight? That's concerning to me. Here's what I thought, and and again, the logic doesn't make sense. I I get the idea that the air raid system that he was running at Cal required him to do something completely different. Work out a shotgun, avoid progression reads, um, modify the offense at certain points. Uh, I forget which article it was, but the idea that he was running the offense and making all kinds of calls, you know, to, you know, hot reads and audibles and all kinds of things like that. Uh, things that he's not necessarily doing in the Rams offense. And I, I get that the Rams are trying to fit him into what they do, taking snaps under center, uh, calling plays, and then just running them off of the reads and not necessarily providing hot reads and audibles. Th- there's only two answers. Uh, the fact that he's not starting and that he's just now getting there, that kind of stuff. Either number one, you shouldn't have drafted the guy if he's not capable of picking this up or he should have gotten it a long time ago, and all of this is just BS. There, there's no other way around it. I, I think it was Brian Billick had a piece at NFL.com. Uh, there, there's just no other way to explain. It was uh, it was Brian Billick, uh, obviously former NFL head coach at NFL.com, finished his piece. He was talking about the idea of Case Keenum versus Jared Goff, mm-hmm. and the summary was this. If they are so concerned that they might fracture Jared Goff's confidence by starting him too early – then maybe he wasn't actually worth the number one overall pick in the first place. Either way, between that or playing him and figuring out if he can deal with the adversity of the NFL, you have to find out. That was his point. And yeah, there's just no way around it. Either he's capable of doing it now, or they probably shouldn't have drafted him and spent so much to get him in the first place. I like Brian Billick. He's always been a well-worded guy. I love reading and, and listening to him speak because everything is measured. And everything is, a lot of people aren't going to feel that way, but I feel as an analyst, he's a measured dude. He doesn't get caught up in in the analyst hoorah. He kind of looks at each individual guy and offers up, well, I mean, it may be his opinion, but you know what? The man has a Super Bowl ring and I don't. No doubt. That gives me a great question for our guest. Who do we got coming on tonight, Joshua? Yeah, we got Mr. J.B. Long. I believe he is the voice of the very Rams that we are talking about. And JB has probably just as many questions as we do. So, you know, let's, let's just jump right into it. JB, are you with us? Good evening, Josh and Joe. I am. Thanks again for having me on. Hey man. Thank you. It's good to catch up with you guys. So, we, we're going to just launch you on the hot seat right away. And again, we always understand that uh, there's some things you can't answer, but I think this one's fair. We were discussing the article uh, that Brian Billick wrote uh, for NFL.com about Jared Goff versus Case Keenum and where he's at. And Joe, you did that so well. Why don't, what, did you happen to hear what Joe said, uh, JB? 
I did catch uh, the tail end of it, yeah. Um, you heard, I'll, I'll so you heard the of... billet quote? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I just... Remove the Rams from this situation, because obviously that puts you in between a rock and a hard place. When you draft a first-round guy and spend the kind of capital that the Rams did on a guy like Goff, what are you as a team, what, or what should a team be expecting, just in general? Yeah, well, I mean, the way we answered that question in 2016 is far different than we would have answered it six or ten years ago, right? Because of the string of recent quarterbacks, especially number one quarterbacks, who have played right away and have experienced some degree of success. I don't get the sense in hindsight that the Rams' expectation when they drafted Jared Goff was that he was going to take the first snap against San Francisco, nor do I necessarily think that uh, when Jeff Fisher proclaimed uh, his his record BS uh, and hard knocks that he was necessarily saying that Jared Goff was going to be the quarterback that would put them above 500. Um, so whether Jared is kind of the exception to the current trend in the NFL, which is draft early, play early, um, maybe that's just the case, but uh, no pun intended. But I I think the Rams felt like they were equipped with this roster to win now in the NFC West. Maybe not be a Super Bowl contender, but definitely be above 500 and contend for a division and a playoff spot, at the least a wild card spot. And I don't necessarily think Jared was the quarterback that they had designs on executing that. I think the Case Keenum contract, one year as it was, was kind of the overlapping grace period. And I felt like the way they were built – uh, run first offense, better than average defense, that they could get to nine or ten wins with Case at the helm and give Jared some time. So uh, now, because the offense is last in the league in scoring, I understand you know the everyone sentiment that, well, maybe now is the time, maybe the bye week was the time. But I'm uh, I'm kind of running against the grain on this one, and believe me, this isn't just because where my paychecks are coming from, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on it. I'm actually yeah. with you on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Um, since you've got to this point in the season, three wins, though they are, I think we've seen enough from this team, and I think we've seen enough from the division to know that at least going into last week, the Rams were by no means out of it, and even going to New York this week, still not mathematically out of it. So, you know, if at some point Jared is going to play this season, does it need to be the entire back nine of the schedule? I mean, probably not, right? So what's the harm in, um, in in playing this threat out a little bit longer? Jared theoretically only gets better. Um, and, and then we see where it goes. I, I had mentioned, and then Joe, I'll let you jump in. I, I'll set you up, actually. I had mentioned that I, I think, I agree with you. You hit the nail on the head, JB, when you said at this point season and i think that's the key phrase there uh there's no there's no need to necessarily give golf the back nine um i i i also understand why an nfl team would even even at three and what five now i I realize why they would say we're not out of it by any stretch you look at the new york giants they've overcome man didn't they used to go like four game stretches without wins uh So I know it can be done in the NFL, but the the question I think that's on everybody's mind is you say, okay, Fisher's got this run-first offense, but today he said, we need to have a run-first offense. Joe, help me here. What what, what am I trying to say? 
Well, here, here's what I wanted to know from JB. Uh, it's at JB underscore long, everybody on Twitter, at Rams Radio on Instagram. Wanted to make sure we dropped the social handles. Um, co-host Thanks, of the, the Well, of course, the co-host of the Jeff Fisher Show on ESPN LA 710, of course. Anything, is there anything I'm forgetting there, JB? No, that's plenty. Let's move on that's, to your question, please. There you go. <laughs> um, we talked to you in the – yeah, no, nah, we talked to you in the preseason, and we talked, uh, you know, kind of got a sense of your thoughts going into the season. What what was something that maybe you weren't anticipating that's kind of happened as you've taken over the play-calling duties and, and kind of, you know, become the voice of the Rams? What's something that you weren't really – not necessarily not prepared for, but something that you didn't see that was going to take place and something that you've had to adjust to? I would say 44 pass attempts per game over the last three games is something that I wasn't <laughs> anticipating, uh, just to keep it well uh, on on football and Ram-centric. Sure. And uh, to kind of tie it back into both your thoughts, that coming back from London, we all said, including Jeff Fisher, 53 passes, that's not right. That's not who we are. So with a week to prepare, I all I, we all thought that Todd was going to get force-fed. And um, the thing that yeah. sticks out to me, and he, and he didn't. The thing that sticks out to me about right now the run-pass distribution, and believe me, I understand that there have been some long late fourth-quarter drives that have inflated the passing totals, but even if you take two-minute drill out of it against New York and against Carolina, it's still pass-heavy. The largest deficit that the Rams have faced since San Francisco was briefly 11 points against Buffalo late in the fourth quarter two other 10-point deficits against Tampa Bay and Carolina. But largely, ever since 28-0, their entire schedule has been played within a score. And and even oftentimes ahead, like 10-0 against the Giants. So in my estimation, I don't think they've been stubborn enough with their play calling. Now, I understand why they're throwing is because teams are showing them passing fronts. Uh, They're saying, go ahead, throw it. Um, and, and Case, I think, is taking that dare. Maybe Rob Boris is as well. What I heard from Jeff specifically on Monday after they had yet another game where they're passing outpaced their rushing is we need to be more committed to it and we need to look that eight or nine man front in the eye and say we're going to be better than you and we're going to do what we want to do anyway. So that's really what I'm curious to see if they can execute in New York against a Giants defense that's top five in the NFL and rushing defense, no easy task. How is the – I just wanted to ask, and then I'll let Josh get back in. The, the show with Coach Fisher, uh, give us a sense. I mean, I know there's certain things behind the curtain, and obviously a lot of that is just kind of broadcasting minutia. But uh, give us a sense of the show. How's it going? Is it something that you're comfortable with? Do you like the product? Do you like working with DeMarco and Coach Fisher? What do you think about it overall? Yeah, love DeMarco. I mean, he is just one of the great people I've ever had the privilege of working with. Uh, truly a joy to get to interact with on a daily basis. Uh, has a great rapport with Coach, with the players, with the Rams organization. Just could not have uh, been handed a better partner for that particular show. And then just in general to get to work with him week in and week out. Um, look, I'm not going to put my head in the sand and, and say that Jeff Fisher is the most popular uh, head coach in the NFL, right? So that's been a little bit of an adjustment for me, kind of walking into my first NFL season. And when I kind of solicit questions for the Jeff Fisher show from a fan audience, you know, some of the things that come back are unsavory. Um, but that comes You should see our polls. Yeah, yeah. Of course. You, guys, you guys are exposed to plenty of that. Um, 
But I, I will say this about Jeff, and, and at the end of the day, look, uh, in any of our professions, success, failure, you know, what have you, uh, you know, the measure is not kind of what you come away with in terms of wins and losses, but I, I think how you handle yourself with each one of them. And uh, I will say this about Jeff, that win or lose, he brings the same temperament, the same demeanor to our show when he shows up at the Westlake Village Inn uh, here in Southern California. And and embraces kind of the audience questions. He has never once this season, and from what I've heard in, at any point in his career, asked for some topic to be taken off the table. And I think that's pretty cool. In my in my college and professional athletic experience, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty A unique. And rarity so, it doesn't happen. Right. Right. It's usually so. the agent calling you and saying, "So guess what you're not talking about today?" And it's never a pleasant phone call either. Yeah. No, nope, the uh, first show coming back twenty eight nothing out of San Francisco. I kind of had a list of kind of fan questions, and I said, "Do you want to take a look at these?" And he he said, "Ask me anything." That's always how it goes. So, that's I want to focus on that for a second because there are positive there are positive qualities to Jeff Fisher, and I really don't think it's healthy to have a show that's nothing but talking down or trash or whatever. However, you want to parse it out about somebody. I mean, Jeff Fisher, by all accounts, is really likable. You ask around the league, like, I mean, there's a reason he's been around the NFL for so long. I imagine that, you know, his professional approach to everything, like you said, showing up every time with the same demeanor. He knows what's expected of him. And you don't, well, I'm going to say this as a barb, but I don't mean it as one. You don't become or don't don't become the almost losingest head coach in NFL history without, you know, dealing with some of this along the way. It doesn't happen. So, however Jeff sees that record, and not something I'm bothered by, but... Obviously, he wants to win. This isn't a guy who shows up saying, yeah, hell, I'm making a paycheck. It's great. You know, he wants to win. And he obviously wants to fix this thing. So I guess my question would be this. At the heart of it, what does Fisher... You, you mentioned one thing in maybe it being... A, a, they need to be more stubborn with their play calling. But what does Fisher need to do to get the Rams from where they are to where he wants them to be? Boy, that's a big question. Uh, and if I had the answer to it, I, you know, I would probably be trying to compete with Jeff Fisher uh, across the sideline rather than just sitting next to him on Monday nights. But um, yeah, can you do, can you do that though? Can you just yeah. come up with the answer and then tell him? That'd be great. <laughs> I, I, I do like the point you make though, that, that there's a certain quality that it takes to lose as many games as, as Jeff has is in his career, right? It's kind of like the, you don't you don't get to miss fourteen thousand shots as a professional basketball player unless your name is Kobe Bryant, right? Um, exactly. Which is is not to equate Jeff and Kobe's success, but you kind of you kind of get what we're talking about here. Um, you know, look, I think where things stand right now on defense, you have to be pretty happy with. To get back to your question, I'm not sure what you would tweak on defense. To be honest, um, I think the system that they're running. Is, is going great. The fact that they're healthy, that they have 11 guys who would have started opening day starting in New York this week is unbelievable. I mean, that's a real privilege, and they need to capitalize that uh, in the second half of their schedule. For whatever reason, and I, guys, I've spent a lot of time watching the offensive line, whether it's on tape or at practice again today, 
boy, are they working on it. I don't know why they're not getting the results. The draft talent is there. Uh, the experience, the instruction should be there. I'm not sure why they're not giving Case and Todd specifically enough opportunity to succeed. That would probably be the first area that I would look to in terms of getting over the hump. The offensive line has to find a way to play better. They just do. And and there are very few exceptions within that group. Uh, I think they would tell you as much. Um, but, you know, the, the, the receiving core is not without its flaws. I think the running backs have not been without their flaws. And so not to bring everything back to the Jared Goff conversation, because believe me, I don't want to do that. But when you're talking about when to put Jared in, you would like to have it be in a position where he's got a chance to succeed. And let's face it, the position groups around him on offense right now are imperfect. And Put so, him in there on that offensive yeah, line. Not that, he, not that he's a fragile butterfly and that if he takes a shot in the chest or two, he's, it's going to ruin his NFL career. Believe me, I saw this guy take more lumps than you would care to see during his three-year career at Cal um, with right. almost no Division One talent around him to begin with as a freshman. So he's a tough kid. But I do think there's a part of case that you have to appreciate that doesn't show up in his touchdown to interception ratio. And that is perhaps how many worse situations he's keeping the offense out of and maybe himself and Todd Gurley in in particular. You know, it's funny you mentioned that offensive line because my one and only knock on Cody Wickman, because I covered Fresno state and knew Cody, you know, I mean, he obviously had his time in the sun with, with their best offensive line was with Austin Wentworth, Derek Carr in that 2013 season. But one of the lone knocks that I had on Cody coming out is that after Austin graduated and it pretty much became apparent that the leader on the offensive line was going to have to be Cody, he didn't really embrace that. He he never did. He never stepped up into that role of of what you need as sort of a, a quarterback on the offensive line. Um, uh, and it, it, I've always wondered if some of that isn't playing itself out in this battle with him and Jamal Brown. I mean, what what is your assessment of th- that position battle? Well, this is an oversimplification, but I think you have to lean on the fact that the best offensive day of the year in Detroit had Jamon kind of front and center. Um, and then they go to London, and he appeared to be in line to kind of start again uh, and had the spiral fracture of his hand and uh, did not play in that game, did not play in Carolina. So, you know, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, maybe Jamon instead of Cody and everything kind of comes together. I think. I think the Rams are in a really nice place that they have JB and Cody at their disposal, to be honest. I mean, especially this week as I study uh, the New York Jets and they're, you know, they put Ryan Clady, a four-time Pro Bowler, on IIR today. They're going to probably be without seven-time Pro Bowler Nick Mangold at center uh, when they face the Rams. So, I mean, they're cobbling things together, as was Carolina without Ryan Khalil last week. So, uh, when I, what I tend to default to with offensive line is you know, where were they drafted? What's their individual talent? How much experience do they have individually? And then how much experience do they have collectively playing together, right? I mean, how good are you individually? And how long have you had a chance to know the guy next to you and play alongside him? Uh, those factors should all play in Greg Robinson and Roger Saffold and Tim Barnes and Jamon Brown and Rob Havenstein's favor. 
I cannot explain. I'm just not qualified to explain why it's not because this is the second year in a row that most of those guys have been lining up next to each other. And we all know the draft picks that the Rams spent to, to get those individuals in their locker room. Yeah. Maybe I know we're tight on. Oh, I was going to say one more uh, question. I know we're tight on time. We'll let you go. That's okay. Take your time. No, take your time. Uh, Josh informed me last night was election night. I had no idea. I live in Washington, D.C. I don't pay attention to politics. Um, eight games left in the season. What is kind of your state of the union of the rain? Like, uh, you know, the, the attitude of the locker room. I know you talked about the temperament that Jeff Fisher has and the fact that he's letting these losses uh, slide, that, he, that it's not affecting his, um, you know, approach to what he does. What, what is your sense of uh, the – the, the state of the roster Did, are, are, are the players as you know, it wasn't too long ago that these same Rams were three and one. Do you sense that the frustration is affecting anything? Is there anything that you see in terms of the week of preparation going into games that's different uh, and any kind of desperation? Or do you think that it's, you know, that there's a, there's a confidence and a commitment to a game plan that even though it hasn't produced the results is still being followed in terms of the blueprint. Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a really intangible thing. Uh, but I don't sense panic, and I don't sense a boiling over moment from the Rams yet, which is not to say that if the four-game losing streak goes to five, it's not right around the corner. It's just that whatever it is, if it's the 90-degree day in Thousand Oaks, California, or um, the fact that they just really seem to like each other, uh, they, they I mean, whether it's on the plane or in the dressing room or on the field, I mean, this is about as loose of a professional group as I've ever been around, uh, which I don't want to give the impression that they're, you know, that they're not doing the things that they need to do to be professional to win on Sunday. I just mean, I think that counters some of the tension that you would expect from a group that is riding a four game losing streak. And that probably has one side of the football to point at for their struggles. Sure. Um, so I, I don't sense that divisiveness in terms of you know, state of the union and second half. Um, you know, I wish I could have answered that question a week ago because I think it was more clear cut then. I mean, coming home after the bye week against Carolina with five of your nine finally at home, given the schedule that they played, I, I think it was pretty easy to set the table for that. Now it's a bit trickier because if you, I, I tend to look at things in kind of four game windows and coming home off the bye, you had the next four teams on your schedule all under 500, right? And uh, their passing defenses weren't looking great, and you get some home games in there. But when you lose to Carolina, you basically trade Panthers at home for Patriots on the road in that kind of four-game window. Yeah. And now, now three of those four, you know, Jets, Saints, Patriots are away from Los Angeles, and it's kind of like, golly, who put this schedule together? And then that come be- back against a really strong Atlanta team. No doubt. That being said... And and I, I know that Jeff kind of debunked the whole we're going to play case until we lose one more game or until we're out of the playoffs or whatever it was, whoever put that out there. Uh, you know, I know he poo-pooed that. But kind of from an outsider, outside the team standpoint looking in, I actually think that makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, like, for as long as we are in playoff contention, we're going to stick with what we had hoped to be. And if that means we get a win against a Jets team that, that appears on the brink right now, then maybe we come home against the Dolphins with a chance to go to 500. And if we win those two games, then our season is once again cast in a whole new light. Um, you know, 
Richard Sherman and an official in Seattle away the other night from this thing still being very much within reach in the NFC West in terms of wins and losses. Um, so the fact that they still have W's against the two teams in front of them probably plays in their favor. Uh, Seattle and Arizona, they still got a lot of work to do outside the division and especially on the road. So I think it's worth playing the long game. I really do. I don't see any reason at this stage to say, let's build towards 2017. I think it's too early for that. Good stuff. Hey, JB, I appreciate you coming on and playing the long game with us, man. It's been fun. JB Long, <laughs> everybody, voice of the Rams, at JB underscore Long, at Rams Radio. JB, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, keep doing what you guys do. I appreciate your coverage of the team. And, uh, boy, I, I can't believe it's been half a season since uh, I had the privilege of joining you guys for the first time. But It's uh, crazy, it feels, man. Yeah, it feels like second nature, and uh, I'm, I'm just having the time of my life. And uh, I wish it was... No, I wish it was five and three and not three and five, but that's okay. They're going to be uh, a lot of a lot more wins and a lot more seasons for us to, to dissect. Let me, let me ask you something real quickly so that we yeah. can get you out of here on what I think is a more uplifting note. And it's something that's been posited by other people, so why don't we get your take on it? Rich Hammond, uh, OC Register, had tweeted something to the effect of it's, it's, it's a shame that the Rams offense is disguising what's basically just an, an incredible incredible year by Aaron Donald by any metric are we talking about a man who should be in the final discussion for defensive player of the year when this season ends no question uh absolutely and I think I think Aaron's the kind of guy that enjoys having Michael Brockers next to him and likes having Robert Quinn on the other side of him not that he can't do it as a one-man show but my goodness, you see when Tremaine is back and when Brocker's back and when Will Hayes and Robert Quinn are on the edges, you know, suddenly there's a tight end or a running back who has to chip. <laughs> and suddenly when Ryan Khalil's there, the pocket is imminently collapsible. Um, I mean, it, it's it's been a true privilege to watch 99 go to work every day in practice and on Sundays. And if this defense remains largely intact from a health standpoint, I don't know if he's going to put up the statistical numbers he put up last year, and I don't really care if he does. Um, I'm glad that we kind of dissect football now in an era that looks more closely at a defensive tackle's performance rather than just sacks because he's so much more than that. Um, no, it's it, he is an elite, elite talent. And uh, I'll, you know this is not to take anything away from his performance, but... I will say there have been an inordinate amount of matchups for Aaron where there's been a center or guard missing from the two deep of the opponent's roster. And here comes another one this weekend in New York. And boy, I, I pity teams that are down a Ryan Khalil or a Nick Mangold when they have to deal with Aaron Donald. Ryan, man, if there's one guy you don't want to see, Ryan Khalil, I, I, you know, the Khalil brothers just reek talent and success man it's it's i hate it i i want to be them like no fa- no family should be that successful and yet they are just man it, it doesn't matter if they have the last name khalil i assume they're going to be an all-american i assume they'll play at usc's off, on the offensive line and i assume that they'll make at least six pro bowls just well look aaron, aaron donald aaron donald's got a little brother yeah now, he look, does. Look, that was a- that was to- that was totally a lie. I have no idea if he does, but I just want you guys to say, "Wait a second, he's got a younger brother. We need to look into this. Maybe we should draft this kid." Hold on. Yeah, Eric, Eric Donald just signed with Pitt. 
He's an outside linebacker, but he might eat his way into the defensive line. See, look at yeah. that. I knew JB, of course, would be on top of it. Of course. No, I yep. totally made that up too. You gave me, you gave me free life. Damn it! That's it. Yeah, that's the end of it. All right, JB, thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> JB, <laughs> long everybody at. What's up, have Josh? a great week. Hey, have a great I, week, I, everyone. I started it by uh, by saying, uh, yeah, he does have a brother. <laughs> so let's dive into some of that, Joe. I, I want to start with. Let's just pick up where he left off with the Aaron Donald section because, really, it's probably going to be the one positive thing we talk about this show, right? Like, I mean, that's a, that's yeah, I, all the Rams really got, right? I, I think there are other I think there are other positives, and especially because you got two games now, and obviously the buy separates them. But you got two games where you kept your opponent under twenty points, and even with the Giants, you're talking about a defensive touchdown. So, offensively, the Giants scored ten points. Offensively, the Panthers scored thirteen. The defense has done a phenomenal job in these last two weeks. The two weeks prior, obviously giving up 30 points to the Bills and 31 to the Lions, not so much. But the, the defense has been the, the stalwart of this team through eight weeks. And the, the offense isn't keeping their you know, side up, and we get that. But I, I think there are a lot of positives. Now, the, the one thing I would point out, and obviously JB was focusing on the Jets side and how affected they are by injuries, is what I said earlier this week. The Rams have been incredibly fortunate with injuries. I get it. They've missed some games from True and uh, EJ Gaines early, Michael Brockers, William Hayes. They've had a couple guys in and out over there. They haven't had a single guy on IR outside of the five that they put that really weren't going to contribute. They haven't had a star uh, you know, miss a ton of time. You look at team, the, the, the New York Jets lost Geno Smith, put him on IR. That you're talking about a Lions team that we faced a couple weeks ago. Put Amir Abdullah, starting running back. Imagine putting Todd Gurley on injured reserve. Yeah, other teams are forced to deal with huge injuries at massive amounts of time. The Rams haven't had to deal with that. I think that's been one of the biggest boons this season is that they've had the full complement. And like JB said, the 22 starters that they had in week one are the 22 starters that they got going in this week. They're healthy. They're getting defensive performances. They just haven't gotten on the offensive side. And obviously, Aaron Donald. Donald's a key part of that. Yeah, you're absolutely right to bring up the defense. And, and and JB did, you know, point out just how tremendously this defense is playing. Aaron Donald, a large portion of that. Do you say, okay, maybe instead of just looking solely at Aaron Donald as sort of a myopic thing, it's easy to do that. But let, let's, is it, which to you is the more impressive unit? I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is it the front seven? Or is it the job the patchwork secondary has done with the major losses? Because as I look at the job that the secondary is doing, they basically had to replace well, the secondary. So you expect a team that loses the number of guys that they lost, especially with, with the impact in Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, the type of uh, skill that they bring to the game. You expect a team like that in the following year to see a tremendous downturn uh, it, it, in the amount of yards, touchdowns, et cetera, that they give up. And I think you see semblances of that in games where they do, you know, like that San Francisco game, like the Carolina game ish, you know, a, more like the Buffalo bills game, these games where I think inexperience tends to, to rear its ugly head and you go, ah, damn it. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. Which ones no, then had a more impressive season? 
I got to go with the secondary, and the reason why is, number one, they lost more key talent. They lost Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod. Starting number one cornerback, starting number one safety, I would put Rodney McLeod as the number one safety over TJ McDonald last year. And, and they still dealt with it while having to play guys like Cody Sensabaugh and Troy Hill while EJ Gaines was getting back, while Trumaine Johnson was getting back. The, the bigger issue that they've had is when – the, the defense has struggled, and especially you talked about the Buffalo game, is when they're struggling to, to defend the run. And that when you can't defend the run, that's not an issue on the secondary. You That Buffalo game, LaShawn McCoy had 100, I think it was 150 yards or whatever. He had a great game, and he was running all through the middle. The, the secondary has, uh, when they've struggled, they've had to deal with uh, physical pressures that don't play into the system. So that's not what the running game does. The, the Rams defense is designed to stop the run. The Rams defense is designed to allow the pass, but only over the middle of the field. And against Tampa Bay, you saw that. They went over the middle of the field over and over and over and over. It's designed to let you do that. Uh, the last two weeks, we've seen the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to give you the middle, punish you on the middle, and if you go anywhere else, it's not supposed to work. And they did a great job against Cam Newton and Kelvin Benjamin. They did a great job against Eli Manning, Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard. You know, they've done a great job at running the system. Uh, so I'd go with the secondary only because, and especially because they don't have the talents compared to the front seven. You got a first-round pick in Alec Ogletree. You got a first-round pick in Aaron Donald. You got a first-round pick. To your point, to your original point, you said the D, the secondary lost people. The front, the, the front seven added. They, well, they they added. They, I mean, they lost Chris Long and James Laurinaitis, but yeah, they definitely added in terms of Cam Thomas and Dominique Easley, guys who are getting pretty regular snaps. And you know, the fact that they lost Robert Quinn uh, more or less halfway through last season, and now they've got him and he's ready to work in. They they've done a fine job. The front seven. Uh, if you're asking me, maybe who's more impressive, I might go front seven. But maybe who I've been pleased with more. I'd go with the secondary only because it's the much bigger risk. When you're playing Cody Sensabaugh and Troy Hill, Maurice Alexander, the risk is much bigger at the back. But they've been up to the task, and especially the last two weeks, when you hold your opponent under 20 points, especially when you got an offense that is getting rid of the ball as often as the Rams' offense is, they've done a phenomenal job. And you you got to credit Greg Williams. you got to credit the personnel and the, the, the unit coaches. They've done a fine job on the defensive side, even though I say the secondary. That's no slight to the front seven. Yeah, no, I actually 100% agree with you. That's sort of why I phrased the question in that nature, is you look at what the secondary lost and then how well they've done in, in games, exactly like you mentioned, shutting down a guy like Kelvin Benjamin, shutting down an Odell Beckham. Look, man, that's not really uh, uh, an easy thing to do. In fact, I hear it's pretty flippin' impossible. Um, what I would say, I think, in favor of the front seven, if I were playing Dev Devil's Advocate, which I, I'm going to do because there's going to be fans out there who are like, no way, man, how can you say the secondary is better? You're already writing the tweets and you know it. Um, the one thing I would say for, for, the, for the front seven is, like JB said, when you have all of the components there, that thing's scary, dude. Yeah. That thing that thing is just a quarterback's worst nightmare. I mean, you look up and you see the amount of talent that they're pushing at you just in the you know, just in the front. Never mind the back part of the front seven. We're just gonna talk the front. Leave the seven at home. Just the defensive front has been 
terrifying when when they're at full operating capacity. The problem, like you said, is that they haven't had it the entire season. I wonder, when you look back at this year, let's say the Rams do finish better than 7-9. and nine. Let's call it 8-8, eight and eight, okay? And you look back at this year. Now, I, I know at the beginning of the show, way back when we started, you said, give me 8-8. Eight and eight. At least it's not 7-9. and nine. I think that's almost exactly how you said it, too. Uh, but if that were to happen, and you look back on a couple of these games where maybe the Rams weren't at full capacity. Is there any part of you that says, okay, this thing might may, may be headed in like Jeff or is Jeff Fisher so far lost to you that no, it doesn't matter because the, the risk you take by bringing in a new coach is that he could blow this all up. And probably will. Yeah. Or he could take it, take it, turn Cause I mean, just because you come in as a head coach, there's no reason to get rid of a perfectly good defensive coordinator. You know, like, the Greg Williams types don't come around, but that's not how the game rolls. And any he, coach... Here's any what coach, I... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to say any coach? Oh, I was going to say, any coach that, that comes in these days, it's not just the head coach. It's his whole team. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And his, his whole approach. And that, that was what Jeff Fisher did, of course. Uh you know, here's what I'd say. I pulled up uh, the ranks for the defense and the offense only because we're talking about it. And as I was thinking about the secondary, you know, one of the things that's been apparent is they're not nearly the bend or break def- uh, bend, but don't break defense that they were a year ago. A year ago, what we saw is that they were giving teams the middle and teams were marching downfield and then not finishing drives. So they would let you, you know, if you started at, you know, you took a touchback, start your 20 or 25, obviously this year march downfield and kick a 40-yard field goal. The Rams would let you have that. So they really suffered in yards, but they were doing a great job. We call that the Steve Sarkeesian offense here in L.A. You you do. Maybe that's the Rams' marketing effort that they need to take on. It needs to be known as the Jeff Fisher defense, but that was last year. What's different this year is it's not nearly as much of a bend, but don't break their forcing outs much earlier. And so I brought up the defenses. So by year, starting from 2012, this is in points, 2012. They were 14th in points, then 13th, 16th, 13th, 11th, and that's 11th in 2016. So they're more or less, you know, top half, but not a top 10 in points allowed. Here's the difference is yards. Yards starting in 2012 was 14th, 15th, 17th. So three years in a row where they were the same spot last year, 23rd in yards allowed. They were giving up a ton of yards. This year right now, they're eighth in the league. They're top 10. Even with this offense and as little rest as they get having to deal uh, with as much opposing offense as they see, they're only eighth in yards allowed. They're doing a much better job of killing off drives. Now, here's the problem, and this is where we pivot to start talking about this again, and I'll let you go with it where you want to, is the offense. 2012, you want points or yards first. Either way, it's not pretty. would also like to throw in a, a case of the derps. Let me, let me no, run I'm, through the yard, the year by year. Do you want the yards or points first? Um, give me the yards. Yeah. So yards, it's 2012. This was Bradford's healthy season. Uh, 23rd next year was 30th. 
then 28th, that was the year we lost Bradford the entire year. The 30th year was where we replaced him halfway. So even with Sam Bradford, half the season wasn't good. 23rd, 30th, 28th. Last year, we were last in the NFL in yards gained. Right now, we're 31st. So the last two years, whether it's been Nick Foles, Case Keenum, or obviously Jared Goff moving forward, this system and the personnel is not getting yards. The problem now for 2016 is that the points are even worse. 2012, we were 25th in points. Then 21st and 21st back-to-back years, 2013-2014. Last year, we were 29th in points. This year... We're now the lowest scoring offense in the NFL, and that's really the biggest problem, Josh, is that we're not we're, we're not creating drives, but we're definitely not finishing. Yeah, and I got I, I think and you this really goes to a point you made on a different show, but that's as much of a problem as what I call derp, which is drive extending retarded penalties. Uh, <laughs> penalties that there is no USC has mastered this. They get the team exactly, opposing team, exactly where you want them at the 50-yard line, you know, going to get the ball back with probably some decent field position because it's the college game and special teams are non-existent. Um, so what do you do? You hit them with a personal foul. That's the, that's the thing to do when you give the offense an automatic first down. That yeah, kind I, I of stuff is... About- I know you're talking about USC, but yeah. I, no, I, I actually meant the Rams this year. I, I was kind okay, of talking about USC, but no, you brought this oh. up on another show. <laughs> you brought this up on another show, which is why I'm going to bring it back up now. So, yeah, why don't I shut up and let you take it away? No, 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 you're right. I, I just thought you were talking about USC. I was going to say I think the Rams would take a, you know, oh, a no. run at that. They've, they've got fi- – now, here's the, kind of the thing, and, you know, I alluded to it earlier, that, that – yeah, I, I'd love to see more of the media dealing with Jeff Fisher and the way he talks. And I get it. It's unfair to have head coaches do press conferences and interviews. And then he's got to do the show with JB where he's dealing with this for an hour. And as professional as he is, he takes all these questions and, and is able is, is willing to face the music on this stuff. But you listen, you listen to Jeff Fisher talk about penalties. And not only has his team been the most penalized over the uh, range since he took over. Not worst in the league any single year, but over the course of his tenure, the Rams have been the most penalized team in the NFL. He, The way he talks about it gives you a sense. It's not, it's not that he doesn't necessarily care. It's that he's willing to accept that as a part of his system, right? He, when, he, when he talks about culture change, when he says, I disagreed with a couple of those calls, he is clearly not bent out of shape at penalties. And I think now I love the article in SB Nation on that point where I, yeah. I've actually got it pulled up right here. You know, uh, Jeff Fisher on penalties. Yeah, statistically, we had 10. I would acknowledge maybe six of them. And this is <laughs> this is an article written by Gianna Thomas. And, uh, you know, the, Gianna writes, the officials acknowledge 10 of them. So Fisher's perspective <laughs> isn't particularly helpful to the Rams. And this just goes to your point. It's what? it's weird that well it's weird that he and it's not even that just that oh well I only acknowledge this many it's that he there's nothing that he ever does about it there's nothing that you know Cam Newton goes and talks to Roger Goodell about 
you know, hits that he's taking. And when you do something like that, whether or not it's right or whether or not the referees adjusted to it, there's no way that you can avoid the sincerity of Cam Newton's displeasure with the way the game's being called. And obviously people can, you know, look at those plays and analyze them. And obviously at SB Nation, everywhere else we did. What I think is weird is not just the volume of calls that Jeff Fisher has to deal with. And the fact that they had 10 penalties last game is a great example. It's that, you know, he only agrees with six or seven of them, but he's not going to do anything about it. He's he's willing to accept 10 penalties a week from his team. That, that I think yeah, why is not the, do the something central. about the six or seven that you're bothered with, that you would acknowledge? Sure, that too. Acknowledge yeah, them. Like, <laughs> but that I, 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 I struggle to understand, and this is one of those things. I, I struggle to understand why offensive ineptitude is acceptable to him, but I also struggle to accept why the penalties are. I get it. That's his system. It's physical. It's defensive and run first, and I get that. But there's just I can't get around this idea that the what you call the dirt penalties are mm. are part of it that we have to prepare for. And so it's one of those things where, you know, if we're doing a game preview and we, we look at the Jets, we have to incorporate those dirt penalties into the preview. We have to say, when is that going to happen? We know we're going to get at least two. You know you're going to get a hold. You know you're going to get a false start. You know you're going to get a specialty uh, bad, uh, you know, team on effect. Austin on a return. Yeah, a block in the back, and I get it. You disagree with it. And why at least is it, why are one personal foul? Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you, you struggle to justify his complacency with it. It's it's not that it happened. Teams get penalties. I get that, and refs make bad calls. It's his complacency with the entirety of it and the frequency. This isn't year one. This isn't week one. Jeff Fisher, you know what I'm saying? Jeff Fisher been doing this for a long, long time. Refs know these players and these systems in and out. And the fact that this is still part of it means it's never going away. And that's just really hard, not only to accept, but to incorporate in your strategy and say, well, how are we going to beat the Jets when we know you're going to get those penalties? That's part of something you have to prepare for. I always used to look at, because USC had a huge problem with that too. They would rack up. I remember one game in Hawaii, or one game against uh, Virginia that I went and watched there were something like, holy crap, like 12 penalties that day and an ejection. Uh, I think a total of 24 overall in that game, which they later went ahead and broke when they played Hawaii. I think they wound up with like 15 or 16 that game. That that was lovely to watch. But the problem with it was, is like you're saying, it was never addressed. And when when you talk about the number of yards accumulated by those penalties and you start to add them up, we are talking football fields of yardage that they are giving to a team. I, I, I remember, I think USC in one game had 200 yard, four yards of penalties. And I turned around and looked at that and said, that's two lengths of the field. Like, and, and, well, that, I don't even have anything to say on that. I think that was what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, well, more or less, that's more or less what you can say about penalties. I think, I think, it, it and I, I don't want to go too deep into USC. Obviously, I can talk with you college football as much as you want, but I know our listeners may not. 
Uh, I'm more if, for if the Rams. Rams. Use 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 the ideology sure. here. The the, the, the idea well, that the, the Rams, whoever it is, you're giving up two football fields of space. Now you say the Rams are coming in ten penalties, right? So we know that one of them is going to be a personal foul. We know that one of them is going to be a ten yard illegal block in the back. We know there's going to be a holding call that'll probably come on a really positive play. So not only will it negate the yards they would have gained on the play. But then it'll also, you know, subtract the 10. So you're already staring down the barrel of, what's that, 35 yards of penalties, and we haven't even hit the false start to bring it up to a nice crisp 40? Why not just start every drive at half field for your opponent? You know, I, I mean, when you're committing yeah. that many penalties, it's, it's a problem. And the, the bigger problem is that the Rams aren't built to overcome it. With off, the margins are so thin. Is that whether you're talking about USC and I, I'm obviously talking new version USC with the what's the name of quarterback Sam Darnold? Uh, you look at the worst team in the NFL right now in, in penalties. Oakland at 32nd. Rams right now are tied for let's see, 27th. It looks like so near bottom of the league. I mean, they're obviously bottom quarter of the league. Oakland's got Derek Carr and Amari Cooper. They've got they've got an offense. Uh, Buffalo, who's second to last, who beat us at the Coliseum, has capabilities of an offense, which they showed against Seattle. When, when the Rams take a penalty on offense, they're str- they're struggling to deal with first and ten. You you give them an extra ten yards that they have to gain. That's almost impo- That that's almost an immediate drive killer. Any yep. penalty on offense, and, and that's the problem is that the penalties are more punishing to the Rams than they are to other teams because other teams find a way to yet they have plays they have systems that can that can and not necessarily frequently obviously you take a holding penalty first and 20 it's that's much harder than first and 10 but you'd bet on almost any other team because the Rams pretty much have the worst offense in the NFL you'd bet on any other team to bet on to to capitalize on first and 20 more than the Rams can yeah and, you know, the, the the strange thing, when I mention USC, it's more visual in my head, you know, because sure. uh, fortunately living in Bakersfield, we get 50% of the Rams games. Uh, <laughs> well, I got getting, bad news for you this week. Yeah, I know. I, I, I always look and see when I can watch. It's become my weekly tradition with TST. I'm like, I can do some research this week. Let, uh, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do, do you think Bakersfield is kind of the frontier for Ram. I, I, I'm fascinated by this. I, I know feel this like is Bakerfield one of those is the frontier kinda... for the Rams offense. Well, that maybe it is. And maybe that's kind of the point is that if the Rams ever had a competent offense, if they ever made this more entertaining football and ever got a more competitive team, it seems like that maybe, you know, we just got over election night and we just saw a night where political nerds had screens where they were pointing out individual <laughs> counties and individual places like Bakersfield that that determined certain parts of the way the national election would go. I feel like part of the way the national media, did, you know, ingests Rams football could be uh, centered as a microcosm on Bakersfield that if you know you've got the competing and i get it the 49ers on a great team this year but they've got a much bigger historical fan base and they've got you know i don't know there may be a producer out there of some other podcast certainly not ours who's a huge 49ers fan that that has you know parts of california locked up uh you know based on past performance and not current performance the same way the rams do 
I just wonder if Bakersfield, and especially for you, it's great to have you in that part of the state where that's the epicenter of what the Rams are trying to achieve. Now, and here's the thing, and I'll let you respond to this because I know this is one of those esoteric things and maybe you don't know it until you see it. You're only one guy. I get that. But the, uh, the... the idea that I've always said, uh, going back middle of last season into late last season, that the Rams weren't concentrated on winning football games, that they were much more interested in moving the franchise and marketing the franchise and branding the franchise and selling the franchise and exporting the franchise, giving, putting home games over in England and in China and getting over there early so that their the Rams can do you know play rugby and play soccer with other people while the Giants are at home practicing getting ready for a football game. The Rams have clearly been more interested in that kind of stuff. But I, I just wonder if Bakersfield is the perfect, you know, marker to 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 show whether or not the Rams are winning over audiences that they need to win over if they're gonna be a successful franchise. Yeah, because I think once you start talking about Central California, it's weird. It depends on who you ask. Because there's some people that really, for some whatever reason, consider this to be part of Southern California. And per my fiance, where where is the official dividing line? California? It, well, of what, what's what's the? It's officially no longer Southern California. Okay, Castaic, she says. So, uh, she 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 runs an archaeological information center. Maps are her life. So this is something that I can ask her. Well, we need we need to have her on the podcast then. Right? Yeah, she probably she probably tell you more about demographics and well, I mean maybe more so about ancient Indian records, but uh, that's what she more takes care of. Are uh, like burial grounds and preserving those types of things. Um, but you know, you you. You talk to people in Bakersfield, and some will say they're part of the, you know, Central California. Others toss themselves into the Southern California mix. And I do think that there is a pattern in Bakersfield of people trying to be like L.A. more than San Francisco, if that makes sense. And those who've lived in California will know what that means. You might probably have to live here to understand that, but it does make sense. And fortunately, this is a Rams podcast, so most of our listeners are probably in California now. Except for all you awesome St. Louis people that stuck around during the transition. Um, third partiers for the, for all our third. I'll stand let's up. Let's not forget third. Rob Forehand up in Seattle. He's holding it down in, in right. Seattle territory. That's, right. That's a minor shout out to a TST or there. So, yeah, um, you you depending on who you ask, this is absolutely uh, what they see themselves as the furthest extension of Southern California. And whether or not Southern California wants to work in Bakersfield's a different story, but certainly uh-huh. I think. One thing this election taught us is it's probably more important how people see themselves than how you see them. And, sure. you know, if if Bakersfield believes itself to be Southern California, and this is, don't give me, look, man, Frank Gifford is from here, okay? This is a town that is very, very, it's a red town, it votes red, it, 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 it is a country town. It is a NASCAR town. It is a football town. It is an oil town. And with that, I mean, you have a long try. Derek Carr, David Carr, you know, I mean, look, we don't have a lot of people, but we've put them in the NFL coming out of here. And there certainly has been more. We, we, we you know, we talk about college recruiting a lot, right? 
How many more schools are starting to recruit Bakersfield now? Even Alabama's got starters on their offensive line from Bakersfield. And it's not like there aren't great athletes out here. So the even the entire collegiate recruiting base has started to look at the Central Valley as an untapped diamond mine. So now you're talking about a mindset, right? Football lives and dies in the in this culture out here. I mean, people just, they, they, they aren't trying to have it if their team loses. And I think that if you're a professional organization, as you've said, that's concerned about marketing, how do you not tap that? Like, how do you not tap into a town that wants to be more than it is and loves football? Like, that's just the, the welcome mat, right? Does Bakersfield have to send the Rams an invitation? Um, I mean, they are football starved out here and, and getting the Rams back is certainly something that was, you know, people find out, you know, right with TS, do stuff with TST. And I'm always going to get inundated with questions. And I'm like, I you know, man, I covered USC for four years and you didn't talk to me. The minute I say I'm going to start doing some stuff on the Rams, all of a sudden, you know me like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's crazy. So the thirst is here. It's really here, and and yeah, I, I don't see why Bakersfield ought not to be the farthest they go. This isn't really a Niner town. It's not a Raider it's, town. Well, it, should, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, right? No, it shouldn't, but it's not, which is kind of surprising, because you go to Fresno, and it's Niners. Like, the minute yeah. you go from Bakersfield to Fresno, which are the two largest cities here in the Valley— the minute you go from one to the next, you've moved to Northern California. Fresno. Yeah, so it, it was just one of those things I wanted to bring up only because when I was looking at the map, I was like, there's Bakersfield again. And especially this week because we got the early game. I can understand when we're late on Fox and you've got uh, different things that you're playing with. But this week I saw that and I was like, you know, that that almost seems like a referendum on the Rams. It almost seems like what they're saying is that the Rams are keeping up their end of the bargain, whether it's because they're not winning enough games or because they're not Am I entertaining back? enough. Am I back? Yeah, I'm yeah. back. Okay, so nope. that awkward moment when your mid-thought and your headphone set dies on you. Nice. So let's um, let pick that up what I was saying because you cut off perfectly and then I, I thought you were done saying what you were saying. Okay. I'll pick it up and then I'll throw it back. Uh, three, two, one. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, it was just one of those things when I saw the broadcast map this week and I saw Bakersfield was left out again. I just thought it was strange because it seems like that should be, you know, coming up right. And I get it. You know, I-5 is one of those corridors that people talk about in certain different ways, whether it's economics or politics or sports, in this case, media. You know, Bakersfield seems like the kind of place that the Rams should be able to attract week by week. And the fact that they're not... I don't know if that's a referendum necessarily on their, you know, the entertainment value, the quality of their offense, or the fact that they're not winning enough football games. But it, it just seemed to me like Bakersfield is kind of that epicenter like you talked about. Fresno, okay, now you're beyond SoCal. Bakersfield seems like it's right on that border, whatever that is. And Scott, you know, producer Scott can weigh in on this. He lives in Fresno. I mean, he's not not a Niners fan, but he can speak to this a little. And, it, you know, Fresno is, is very Northern California centric. So, you know, if you're the Rams, that's not our demographic. But I mean, like I said, this is a town that has state titles. This is a town that has alumni like Frank Gifford, Ryan Matthews. You know, uh, there there are players here. 
uh, you know, Derek Carr can obviously ball out. And, the, you know, speaking of Derek Carr, I, I had this minor joke all set up and then I lost it in the hubbub. But I was going to say, if, if I would have told you, you know, like five or six years ago that there was going to be a team in the NFL with the first two letters R.A. and they're going to lead the league in penalties, your first guess probably would not have been the Rams at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to the Raiders for breaking stigma um, breaking, or something. Breaking expectations. Yeah, Hell yeah, yeah man. Let, let, Raiders doing let the me, Let me thing. ask you this, Josh. Well, Go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you this, man. We're, we're three and five now, and um, it's quite clear that the offense, even if we get a couple more better performances, obviously the last two are going to color things different. But we know this, this is a really bad offense. And as good as the defense can be, especially in a game like last week where we fight, and this is something we've mentioned, special teams is not always going to be perfect. It had pretty much been perfect the first seven games. Last week, Greg Zerline misses two field goals beyond 50 yards. We get a touchback from Johnny Hecker. We see the first signs that the special teams can't be perfect over a 16-game season. the early is, how, how how amazing is it that we're talking about an imperfect season from Zerline when the dude misses kicks from 50 plus? I mean, you know, how long ago was it that nobody even thought about a field goal around 50 yards? Now it's like you you that's got to be in your kicker's wheelhouse, especially for Zerline because he's capable yeah. of kicking it from 60. And it, this I I I know college kickers. That is a uh, that is one of those you know, boondoggles where we don't talk about college kickers. That is not something Alabama, uh, Florida no state. We don't, talk, we don't talk. <laughs> yeah. Florida, Florida state, uh, we don't talk about kickers. They have problems in the NFL. Greg Zerline's capable of kicking field goals from 60 with his distance. I'm not talking about accuracy when he had the, the year that he had last year, people were ready to move on, but it, you know, it's just one of those, things that's completely different from college to NFL and obviously introducing the Rams back to Los Angeles that's used to something different. The standards are different. And, and that's kind of what I'm interested in now. We, when we were talking about this season early on and obviously after the three and one start, we were saying, okay, things could go well, you know, even seven and nine or eight and eight is, is right in the middle of the meet. And you look at the way that this league is developing after nine weeks uh, this isn't a year where you've got a ton of teams out there with six, seven wins. This is a year where teams right now with three, four wins, you're going to get a bunch of them in the playoffs, whoever they are. I, I just wonder the fact that the Rams are on this four-game losing streak and the trend line is affecting the way people think. If we had started out 0-3 and now gotten back to 3-5, and things would look a lot different. But one of the things I was thinking about this the other day when we were talking early on, and you asked me, yeah, the Jeff Fisher's game plan sucks, and you know the strategy, the system isn't great. But if they get to thirteen and three, how will you feel? And I said, you know, if you get to thirteen and three, that validates everything. Right now, they're three and five, and the problem is, and this has been the case obviously with Jeff Fisher with the Rams, and then I'll throw it to you to play it however you want, is that when you're three and five, when you're on the back of a four-game losing streak, that invalidates everything. What it does is say this idea of having a great, a top 10 defense, top whatever special teams, and a capable running game, which obviously the Rams haven't gotten going, which is why they're last in the league, 
that system doesn't work. The Brian Billick piece that we alluded to, even he says Jeff Fisher's system worked in the 90s, and this isn't the <laughs> And 90s. nobody knows more about winning with a crappy quarterback than Brian Billick, than man. Brian, Bill- Brian <laughs> yeah. master of winning with mediocre. I just wonder, at, the, at this point, four-game losing streak, three and five, next three of four on the road it's going to be tough and we know they're not going to go four no so whatever happens it's going we're looking at a really really tough stretch and asking for prayers in december what do you think as kind of a first year convert what's your approach to where the rams are at now and where what we're looking at well i'm caught in between two mindsets uh, it, and it sort of goes back to the question that i asked you earlier if the rams move to eight and eight and you sort of look at what is possible if somebody else comes along and blows this thing up. I mean, there, there's so many great pieces here right now. You'd hate to lose that. Tons. But we both we Tons. both know that that's not the way life works. And and unfortunately, if Fisher doesn't win, especially with with the way that contracts are reportedly stalled. Uh, understandably amid a, a, a losing streak because, you know, Kroenke wants a winner. Or Kroenke knows he has to deliver a winner. The one thing you can say That's about Stan point. Kroenke is, is he is a, a successful businessman. No matter how you hack it, this is a successful businessman. He knows what it takes there, to run a successful business. Well, and I, I would qualify that. We're, we're in an era, obviously, with the election last night, where successful businessman is a term that's thrown around lightly. Stan Kroenke has made a lot of money often, consistently, regardless of what he's doing or who he's working with. His track record as a businessman is stellar. Yeah. I mean, this dude this dude just reeks money. He just does. And and when you look at the properties that he has, like, I mean, this this dude's balls are so big, he's got Arsenal in London. In London, and he's got the Rams right here in L.A. I mean, that, that is the sign of a truly successful businessman. When you have a London office and an L.A. office, you've made it. He's got it. <laughs> I mean, if you want a sign of not only how good of a businessman but how, how cutthroat he is, he moves the Rams from, from St. Louis and immediately identifies a property in St. Louis that he wants to buy. A huge tract of property in the north. When when the city could not hate him more, he doesn't care. He nope. knows the business value of picking out that property. Now, we'll see what happens, whatever. He goes and buys the biggest ranch in Texas, right? A huge – you're talking about tons and tons and tons of acres. He has nothing to do with ranching. He has nothing to do with Texas. He's a businessman. He knows property. And so, you know, I just I just wonder with when when we say winning, he's got a stadium in 2019. He knows the only thing that matters is making sure that once that stadium's open and they're bringing Super Bowl to Los Angeles and they're getting people from Bakersfield to drive down to L.A. so they can come to events that they're having there. That matters more than anything they could do right now at the Coliseum or anything, you know, while they're playing games in London. None of that matters compared to 2019. I just wonder how it feels for year one of the market taking this franchise off. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because, you know, as you were saying, people driving down, I I reflected back to when the Rams first put out the notice for season tickets. 
And five of my fraternity brothers are like, yeah, I'm getting tickets. Does anybody else want to go in with me? And, and then you're just looking at, okay, so at the minimum, there's five people here that would be, as you said, willing to drive down to those games. But who the hell's going to make that drive when you know you're going to watch a team that's likely going to lose, <laughs> but may that's, win? I mean, that's the question. That's, that's the question. And, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm interested to get your feelings. Is You know, what do you... The people that you talk to, they—I mean, it's two hours, and that's—I mean, that's without traffic. Yeah, two hours. That is, you know, and especially now when we see reports about the NFL seeing declining ratings, ESPN. I, I would encourage people to go to Deadspin and read this piece if you haven't seen it. ESPN is looking at huge drops in subscribership. Um, you know, it, it's a—it's a changing landscape. Drops. Yeah. Yep. Huge, and and, and Every, everybody's line, unplugging. It's I've unplugged. Everybody, that's a, the everybody, especially younger people. And I don't mean to upset our older listeners, our our elders who we have to listen to and respect our elders. I don't know what you're doing. Listen to a podcast. If you're confused about why the radio isn't working, I'm making fun of you. Whatever. Um, here's what I said: younger people are unplugging, and for for valid reasons. At some point soon. The, the the entire landscape is going to have to readjust to this, whether we're talking about TV contracts for the NFL or whether we're talking about the way. I mean, you just saw with the Dallas Mavericks, Mark, Cuban, it is a bubble. You just saw Mark Cuban deny credentials to Mark Stein and Tim McMahon, two huge writers for ESPN. And his answer was ESPN is not assigning them to this beat. I don't need to give them credentials. If they're not beat writers, they can go sit in the stands or watch at home and cover the game. And that's true. That's what we do from Churchill Times. We don't have credentials from the Rams. The The entire bubble is going to get pierced. And I just wonder how you're, you're at the perfect distance, Josh, you know, where you're far enough away and yet close enough to be in that mix where you're either getting drawn to the team or you're pushed off far enough. Well, no, it's crazy because I have done – credentialed thing you know covering usc and covering fresno state and and you know you're right there when (laughs) when 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 i stopped covering fresno state we'll just we'll say it like that when i stopped covering fresno state i i I didn't found i didn't need to drive up there like it like you know you didn't you don't need to make the drive to do the job and and you know, like I reported a year ago that Jeff Tedford was going to be the next head coach of Fresno State. I've been reporting that now for a year, and I haven't been covering Fresno State for over a year. Sure. Like, how did – see, I, I I broke that story. Like, nationally, won't get credit for it, but I did it. And this just goes to your point about the bubble having been pierced in, in more ways than one. We – as, as sort of intellectually minded individuals capable of talking about a sporting team and have people willing to engage us, we are capable of doing – people act like being a reporter – like they talk about ethics in journalism. 
I practiced more ethics because of my sociology background than I've ever seen anyone practice in journalism. Like, there aren't <laughs> any ethics in journalism. Don't let these people fool you. These are the well, most here, unscrupulous, like, uh, some, some, as a whole, as a germ, germ whole, right now, where the media is at. And I think this played into large part of the election, regardless of who you were for, the sure. media played a huge role. So much so that even Stephen Colbert, I thought, you know, in the viral post that's going around, he said, we consumed too much. This thing started so early that regardless of which side of the fence you're on, we consume everybody. I don't know a single person, whether they supported Trump, Gary Johnson, it doesn't matter. I don't know a single person who didn't at least have one time on their Facebook page, thank God this bullshit's going to be over soon. Yeah, and yeah. that was everybody on the aisle. So you sort of take that mindset and then apply it to the Rams with, with the Rams. Yeah. Thank, thank God it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just an easy transition. And, and it, I, I don't know, man, like I, I feel like the, the, the bubble, the original point I was making is that it, you're right. You know, you don't have to be credentialed to do an incredible job. And, and I sure. honestly think Mark Cuban has a point. ESPN makes a habit of flying around does. to games and stealing stories from journalists who've worked hard. Sure. And I know I had Thayer Evans hijack a story by me. That's right. I'm calling you out. Hijacked the story by me. I tweeted him about it, letting him know that I had already reported it, and he didn't bother at all to change his citation, even though I'd reported it a day earlier, and I had done so from a reputable from a reputable site. And and what I would offer is that Mark Cuban. I mean, you mentioned, and I'll let you finish. Mark Cuban has given a credential to the SB Nation MAV site since 2008 because they cover the team. It doesn't matter that they're fans. They're covering the team and they're providing him covering. And you know what? They're providing good coverage. And Good sure. Bull Hunting, I remember when Good Bull Hunting, the the Texas A&M, like, so surprised was Bamani Jones that he even tweeted him, oh, y'all got credentialed? Man, good work. Like, these are people, and, and in the blogging community, I think this is what I was wrapping this little bow up in. The blogging community as a whole has proven it's not going anywhere. And traditional sure. media tried to copy it. And, and, and realized that people were like, why am I tuning into this crap when I can get a much better version of this from my favorite blog? Like, why am I watching this pre-produced crap of arguments made up uh, where these people don't even believe the shit that they're saying? Why am I watching this when I can go somewhere like Turf Show Times, get the same no-nonsense opinion but also have a little fun along the way and do so with people who are like-minded. And so part of the problem, and obviously the landscape is totally different. This is one of those editorial decisions I had to make early on with relocation was the fact that we couldn't deal with media in Los Angeles that's covering the Rams the same way we dealt with them in St. Louis because they're just readjusting to this landscape. You've got you know, Alden Gonzalez at ESPN, who was a baseball reporter that's been assigned to the Rams. He hasn't been with the Rams for years. He hasn't had those relationships. He hasn't dealt with it. I, I think he's done a phenomenal job for ESPN. 
ESPN, and I get I, as much as I mentioned the idea of ESPN losing credentials and the fact that I think it makes sense with the with the Mavericks, a totally other sport, totally other situation. Alden's done a great job for ESPN covering the Rams. Well, when you say you know the the idea that journalism is some kind of overriding tenet. That's any anybody who followed the Rams the last two years in St. Louis knows that's such BS because the Rams were treated and and I'm using some hyperbole here, but I certainly have the license to. They were treated with such reverence in terms of the administration that Jeff Fisher was always given credence for knowing what he was doing. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean to suggest that he doesn't. What I'm saying is it was never questioned. And that journalist who should have said, Jeff, you have one of the worst offenses in the league. How do you explain this? They weren't doing that after four years of having that same administration and the same football approach and having relationships with the same people there. They were still unwilling to do it. Los Angeles, this is year one, and you're already seeing those people getting questioned. J.B. Long, who hosts the show with Jeff Fisher on ESPN, is willing to admit that. Something that people in St. Louis in the media construct weren't willing to do after four years. I just I don't understand why those standards didn't apply the last two years, and they do oh, this. Oh, I can tell you why. I, I could give you a very personal account of why they are like that. Because no team that has outlets – well, okay, let me rephrase that. A significant no, number of teams that have people covering them want good press only. And they want your first draft of the article. So they can say, oh, remove this. Oh, remove that. And this is the problem that I have with stuff like that. Why – you know, journalism makes up this idea of, oh, it's just good practice to send it to them first. No, it's not. It's not because it gives them a chance to take so much stuff out of it or apply pressure in such a way that the journalists can then not do their job properly. And there are teams all over the nation, whether it's college football, whether it's professional sports, that know they have – and the Fresno Bee is like the king of this um, – not not only have they plagiarized the hell out of me, they refused to ever cite us until my old boss sent a letter to their editor. Like, it was amazing how I would have a story, and then, like, f about five hours later, they would have the exact same story with no more information. But they would have sources said. Nothing more than, uh, you know, just sources said. And it's just like, well, yeah, I was your source, but Fresno B has a an agreement with Fresno State that they let every single one of their stories go to them first. And then Fresno State is able to parse through those stories and say, we want this one in. We want this one out. You can't ask this. Oh, hey, when you interview Coach DeRuder tonight, don't talk to him about this, 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 and this. And – there comes a point where you're looking at this and going, am I a journalist or a mouth? Just sure. a mouthpiece. Sure. Because and, and remember, the, remember the Rams have Danny Clevenger and Miles Simmons and formerly Nick Wagoner, who was a, t a team employee that went, then went to ESPN to cover them. They've got their own employees that do that. So they, I mean, they clearly want that, but if you're going to have independent media, like you said, they don't need to be a mouth. Now, let me let me be clear. 
the Rams, since I took over as managing editor for Tertial Times, have been incredibly professional. They have uh, given us opportunities to get all kinds of media information on par with you know, anybody from any other source and other things. Uh, the, the, the only opportunity they haven't given us is a credential, and I'd love to get one to be able to provide the opportunity for our staff members in the area to cover things up close. And not even so much for press conferences. You know, the press conferences is not what I'm interested in because that's not a venue where they're you pointless. get great information. It, yeah, they, they Especially more or less with Jeff are. Fisher. They're, they're just coaching yeah. from those guys. Go ahead. They're, which is why I just po- – all I do is post a transcript. I don't even deal with it because what, what they're really valuable for is giving – people who write for newspapers an opportunity to put a to put a article together that will run right and i get that that's fine that's their business model that's not ours what i would say is uh the the rams have been very fair to us in treating us uh like like a legitimate organization outside of the credential and what i know is happening is that the landscape – you're talking about the NFL. I, if, when you're talking about the NBA, you're not talking about – the NFL has a stranglehold on American media. The, the Super Bowl is the most watched event in this country, right? The Super Bowl 20, Media Day. Super Bowl Media Day is flipping it's ridiculous. A, it's its own thing. You got 22 out of the top 25 most watched TV programs in America every year are related to the NFL. So I understand that the Rams aren't eager – to provide access to an outlet that doesn't come from traditional media. And I don't fault them for that. If anything, I credit them for their openness in working with us. What I'd say is this landscape continues to change. And for, for especially outside of the NFL, for those institutions that continue to rely on radio and newspapers as legitimate organizations and bastions of what you what you refer to as journalism, when they practice operations that that feed stories to them for approval, and Friends, they uh, get to stay. Everybody else got had to leave thirty minutes you after know what I'm pra- saying? Tim DeRuiter's practice and started. But guess who got to stay? stay? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That, that's not that's not unique. It's it's you know, it, it, and not necessarily that specific practice, but that kind of idea of managing the operation, which is why the Rams have their own reporters. It's why they hired Miles and Danny to be able to give and feed fans information without having to be filtered by this, uh, you know, idea of objective journalism. And that is not a model that's going to survive forever because we as fans are smart enough to know better and to demand better. And what I'll give credit to the Rams for is that they're willing to support that to a degree. And I look forward to the day that they give us a fuller degree. Here's what I'd say, Josh. Uh, Tertial Times is not uh, posting things that have been approved by the Rams. We're not waiting for agents or you know, marketing contracts to validate our approach. What we do as fans is uh, address what we think are relevant conversations and we throw them together. And I think that's been a model that has been more successful than anything any newspaper has done over the last 20 years. And I look forward to another 20 dealing with it. Now, here's what I'd say. What do we got in terms of the run sheet in terms of Listener questions or anything else. Yeah, I know it's been a long we, podcast, we, and we've gotten into the state of TST. Let's talk about some football, man. Well, you know what, man? I, I think everybody needed a break from reality tonight. I, I know 
you know, we, 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 we make illusions and jokes about politics, but there are a lot of people out there who either are, are, are really hurting, really sad right now. And, and I think there's just a, a joy in forgetting all that for a moment. Again, like, you know what? There's something with w- w- there's something worse than the American electoral college system, and that's the Rams offense. You are right. <laughs> uh, I talked to my sister earlier. Now, she lives in uh, West Hollywood. Uh, she was very saddened. And what I told her is, wait until Sunday. Wait until Sunday and catch a yeah. Rams game, and then we can we go. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm a. It's like the old major pain. Oh, your leg's broken. Let me break the thumb. <laughs> exactly. I used to do that to somebody. Oh, your fingers hurt. <laughs> oh, uh, that what that movie right? needs to be yeah. held up as one of the more, I think, poignant films about a coming of age story. Dude, I love that movie so much. I don't, I, dude, the part where he kicks the shit out of Bam Bam Bigelow is just the single greatest scene in any movie. Like, I didn't, I'm like, what the hell is Bam Bam Bigelow doing in this movie? Like, how the hell did you land this role? You can't even land a title in the WWF. Like, what the heck? Uh, but anyway, that's just my wrestling mark coming out. But, you know, back to my point, I, I just think people needed a break. And, and, a state of the Rams is probably needed with where things are at because much like our country, the opinions on the Rams is so divided, man. There are people who think <laughs> Jeff Fish. I mean, look, either our people don't know how to take polls or 73% of our fans really want Jeff <laughs> Fisher to stick around and give more fish. Maybe the polls. polling's broken. Maybe the polling's broken. There's a the silent election out broken. there. <laughs> 538 we need to get 538 on our uh, state of the rams oh dude that thing is ridiculous i mean you just look the responses <laughs> to that were probably worth their weight in gold too but you know it's the rams are headed somewhere but the problem is nobody knows where this isn't an offense that looks like it's showing any signs of improvement, although Jeff Fisher says it is. But I think J.B. Long made a really salient point on the show today that we're also not talking about a cripplingly crappy offense. Like, it's not amazing, but they've proven themselves capable, and that's the problem. Once you show Here's people what I find that they're capable, they demand that. Yeah. Here's what I find amazing. You're right. They've shown flashes of that. You say it's not cripplingly cripplingly crappable or whatever whatever you said you said it wasn't horrible they, they're at the bottom of the league they, well, it, the, the rams have done a, the rams have done a phenomenal job of offering this hope that just isn't consistent with the results and it's not, i'm not i'm not saying this is something about you they, they've done they've done this consistently they've done this idea of saying this is how our system works and this is how we're going to win games and then they put up one of the worst offenses in the league and this year it's worse than it's ever been and and when I say it's not cripplingly crappy, I'm not – look, statistics, yeah, it is. But when you look at the theoretical concept of this offense and what we have seen out of them, no, this is not a bad offense. Although there are many different things that I'm not going to fall into and say this is all the offense's fault. May JB said that maybe the Rams need to be a bit more stubborn with the playbook. So as we talked about before the show, Jeff Fisher – just now in week nine is saying, well, we should get back to the run game. Maybe we need to do that. And like you brought up before the show, well, hey, dude, thanks for making that decision in week nine. I didn't know the head coach was incapable of making it in weeks one through eight. So 
I think that there are more explanations than the offense is crappy. But sure. we have seen this offense. Well, and, and the spe- one of the damn questions on our thing is, is Kenny Britt the best player on in the Rams offense? It's crazy. It's crazy. And it, I don't know that they're wrong. It, what, what's wild is that, you know, you're talking about losing the Carolina game by three points, losing the New York Giants game by seven points. You're, you're talking about losing these games by incredibly close margins when the offense has been horrible. And, and I think I think the problem is that in in this system, in Jeff Fisher's system, the offense is designed to be horrible. I think the, the unfair part is kind of what I did earlier when I say that they're 32nd and 31st in yards and points or whatever it was, that, that, that their window – isn't their window even no matter who's on this team you can put Aaron Rodgers and Todd Gurley and the the Cowboys offensive line and Julio Jones and Des Bryant on this team they're still not going to be a top 16 offense the system isn't engineered that way that's that's part of the if you want to say the problem the, the the issue is that the system is never going to make that possible and so the only way you win games is if the defense holds serve and they have the last two weeks they didn't against detroit they didn't against buffalo the defense has to hold serve special teams has to be pretty much flawless and then what we talked about and we said this often in the three to one, three and one run in the first four games. The offense has to make the most out of the few opportunities that they do have. One of the things that we talked about was that when they were getting opportunities, they were finishing them. There weren't many opportunities. The same amount of opportunities that they had when they're three and one, they have those same opportunities. Now we've gone, what is this, an hour? 45, something like that. You have yet to man, uh, to mention Manchester City. Josh, you deserve a medal. Accommodation Dude, trophy. I was totally going to make it the whole podcast not mentioning them because I'd completely oh, forgotten about uh, amid today's DEA investigation fiasco <laughs> and, 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 and a host of other things. I, I, man, the, another underperforming team is the last thing on my mind right now. Talk about talk about doing nothing with a lot. The, uh, what I was going to say is that the Rams, do, you say doing nothing with a lot. The Rams do nothing or do very little with very little. They don't create chances. And so, no, I'm talking about the talent. I'm talking about the individual talent on, on Manchester City. Do, Guardiola I doing nothing with a lot. I got gotcha. you. I'm talking about the analogy with the Rams. They don't. They don't create chances. They don't have the talent to make a lot on offense. And even if they did, the system isn't going to allow them that. They're not going to create chances. And because they don't, when the, when you have the very few chances that you do get in this system, you got to take advantage of them. Greg Zerline has to make those field goals. Let me There's ask no, you a question. No let me let me put a question to you in, in furtherance of this conversation. Nick Saban. Probably one of the most staunch defensive guys in the entire nation. Now, I know that college is slightly different than the NFL, but considering that the NFL is borrowing more from college these days than the other way around, mostly because the NFL has to adapt to what's coming out of these systems now, um, if you don't have the players to do it, you don't have the players to do it. So you're seeing a lot of teams make concessions, you know, like the Tennessee Titans. They're going to build around Marcus Mariota. That probably would have been unheard of a decade ago. They just wouldn't have drafted him. 
Now you're about getting teams that are building around guys. And in theory, that's what, you know, Jared Goff represents is, is, is the missing link sure. of that puzzle. That's yeah. Well, right. right in theory, uh, the missing piece of the puzzle that's apparently not ready for, you know, really even to be in a game, as you said, he shouldn't be the backup. And yeah. that's, that's probably the more terrifying part. It, it, I, there may be some motivation on the Rams part to keep him as backup just to save fans, because, you know, you're already pissing off a certain number of people by not starting him. If you had him as the third string behind Sean Mannion, I think people would look at the Rams and go, you spent that many picks on a third, like a third string quarterback. Are you serious? Sure. And, and, and I, so I think there's a little bit of faith saving face here. JB's never going to be able to answer that question, nor would we put ourselves in a position to ask him that question, right. but I'll comment on it. I think the Rams are saving face by not promoting uh Mannion. And, and Perhaps. I, I, ref, I look, man, I, I've seen Sean Mannion, me and classy went down there. We watched him. If Jared Goff is really as bad as they say they are, then the Rams are definitely saving face by not playing Mannion. Because he'll make some mistakes, but you know what? He understands the system. Here's what I don't understand is they they might be saving face by not playing him. But they're going to lose it long term. They they might lose it long term, but then why draft him in the first place? And that's the thing. That's the question I want to ask JB that we can't ask him. You know, it's it's why draft Todd why or excuse me, why draft Todd Gurley? Well, why draft Todd Gurley well, too? But it's a, it's <laughs> why, question. Yeah, it really is. Why draft Jared Goff? And and right now the answer is I don't know. And and that's pretty much what we have in front of us. Anybody who's seen this kid play can't give you a good reason right now why the Rams spent the draft capital on him. And I said this when we drafted Todd Gurley, and I know it was unpopular, and people still uh, get very upset at, at offering this, is that it doesn't matter how talented Todd Gurley is. This system isn't good enough to make the most out of his talents. And the, the Rams already had, you know, tr- between Trey Mason and Zach Stacy, acceptable options at running back that if, if you're going to gain 50 yards a game at running back – those guys can do it. <laughs> you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, if, if, well if that's what you're going to do, you, you got a 10th overall pick. Don't spend it on running back. You've already you've already hit the ceiling for what you're going to do at running back. Go draft offensive linemen. Go draft wide receivers. Go draft, yeah, it is, at this it point, is. having lost what we lost, guys on defense. And when you draft Todd Gurley, you're just wasting it because this system isn't going to make anything out of him. And it is astonishing. You know, you look around the league, if you say in theory Todd Gurley is this guy who who can be an every down NFL back explosive, okay, well why don't you protect him and your number one prospect sure. that apparently isn't ready to play anyway with a decent left tackle? And what's what's funny is you bring up Nick Saban and the fact number one, 
Oh yeah, you totally. I totally forgot to ask you my question. Let me ask you this question. What? Okay. So you you you, you post something to me. I want to pose it to you, Nick Saban. You look at him. He's the arch type of defense in college. But the one thing he has added in later years is a really prolific offense. He moved from sort of a Manila almost Fisher ball approach under Doug Nussmeyer. When Nussmeyer went to Michigan, there were Alabama fans throwing a party in the street. No doubt. Okay, sure. like nobody was sad about Nussmeyer being gone. And Saban knew he couldn't just win anymore in this game if he didn't adapt that offense. What I don't get about Fisher is why does the system call for a crappy Not offense? I want to ask a theoretical question here. What about this system says the offense needs to be shitty for them to win games? How come the defense yeah. and special teams both can't be amazing and then the offense yeah. be damn good? Now, I, I, I would push back against the offense, the idea that Alabama's offense is damn good. What I'd say is it's been sufficient. And in what they're doing that the Rams haven't done, obviously, is running the ball. Now, well, you got to throw 2000. Year, you got to throw 2000. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say you got to throw 2016 out the window because with Jalen Hurts, you've got you got a whole new Alabama team that we, we haven't dealt with. That's. This is a weird anomaly. And with Lane Kevin, this year is completely different. What we've seen, let's say 2015, last six years, 2010, um, under Alabama, is more or less, you're right, what the Rams should be aiming for. Yeah. Number one, Alabama's defenses have been better than the Rams. I, re- I read you the yards and yeah. <laughs> points allowed. Alabama's top five. The Rams aren't even top ten. Yeah. The Rams aren't even top ten. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna run the Alabama model, you got to be a top five defense in terms of yards and points allowed. The Rams have not been that, and it, I think it's a fair criticism to argue that the defense. If you're going to make the Rams a defense first program and franchise, you got to be elite at that level, and the Rams have not. To the degree that their offenses haven't supported that, that's where Alabama has made that different. Their offenses have been much better compared to their uh, competition than the Rams have been. And certainly, you know, this year, that's the case. But like I said, you got to throw a 2016 out. The difference is uh, what they've gotten out of running backs that maybe isn't good enough for the NFL is more than good enough in the right system at Alabama. Take Trent mm-hmm. Richardson. Trent uh, Richardson Mark was Ingram. phenomenal. You know, you see what I'm saying? Phenomenal. Ex Saints fan here, remember? <laughs> well, look at the running backs that they got right now: Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Joshua Jacobs. None of those guys are gonna. None of those guys look like great NFL running backs. Hey, do me but a quick favor. What's Derrick Henry's season total? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and they're more. They're not only sufficient at Alabama; they're proficient. And so it's not. It's not that Todd Gurley's not good is that for this system to work he has to be very good and so when he doesn't that that brings the whole team down the whole system collapses on that entire idea and when alabama you look at the lsu game that I, I guarantee jeff fisher if he watched that game when it's zero to zero at halftime is saying that's the kind of football that i want to play why can't my guys do that? And the reason is the defense as a whole isn't good enough, and the running game isn't good enough. And, you know, if he's not going to get offensive linemen and he's not going to press 
uh, his defense towards the line more, it's just not going to happen, man. I, I'd say this. Here, here's what I'd say. You've got the you. You mentioned the idea that uh, if the Rams get a new head coach, you're throwing away this system. Here's what I'm most interested in. We don't have time on this podcast to delve into that. Maybe you want to mark this down in a week, John. No, I just want to point out that Marcus Mariota has more rushing yards, 14 more <laughs> rushing yards than Derrick Henry. 14 more rushing yards than Derrick Henry. The That's quarterback. Just, here's what I'd say, man. Is it is it more important for the Rams to get a head coach like Nick Saban, like Jeff Fisher, who adheres to this strategy because they have the roster built for it, or is it more important to get a head coach who has a, a track record of success and then allow him to build the team to his way? Now, here's what I'd say. The last three coaches that the Rams have brought in, they've done that. They brought them in because those head coaches offered, you know, between Scott Linehan, Steve Spagnuolo, and now Jeff Fisher, they had a game plan, they had a blueprint, and they gave them – in the case of the other two, three years, in the case of Jeff Fisher, now five years, to build the team to match what they thought was a blueprint for success. At some point, you've you got to figure out how the hell you're going to turn the Rams into a winning franchise. And I just wonder, given that they've gone for coaches with blueprints, irregardless of, and I said irregardless, of who's on the roster – Maybe they need somebody that fits the roster and the identity to just kind of push this ball forward down the field. The problem with that is anybody who comes in and takes this job is going to look at moving a key piece because they know. Well, look, let's let's just be let, let's let's follow another hypothetical train. Let's say that Jared Goff isn't the savior everyone had him out to be. And and maybe for lack of a better word, he is a bust. OK. The next head coach is going to have to rebuild this team, just like you said. And in order to do that, he needs draft picks. Well, he doesn't have those. So where is he going to get? I'm going to strike fear into the heart of Rams fans and say, so where do you get that capital? Will you look at a dude like Aaron Donald and say, this is going to get us a first round pick? Yeah. Yeah, no, and, he, and then, and then he moves him. Yeah, well, if they've got the balls to do that, and you're not wrong. Here, here's what I'd say: they got the Rams have to figure out a way to get over the hump. And the problem is, personnel did not get them over the hump. The personnel that they've had the last four years should have been good enough to get them a winning record. Janoris Jenkins, Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, uh, Danny Amendola, Stephen Jackson, uh, Tavon Austin, Alec Ogletree. Uh, Roger Saffold, Todd Gurley, uh, Sam Bradford, yeah, T.J. McDonald, Rodney McLeod. They've had the they've they've had the personnel that should have delivered a winning record, and the fact that they didn't was not the problem. At some at some point, and you you mentioned the idea of shipping Aaron Donald. It's not just that; it's the fact that you've got guys who are running out of their contracts yeah. very soon. We just saw that this last year: Janoris Jenkins, Rodney McLeod. Decided to, yeah, to, decided to move on to greener pastures, man. Well, it, it, you can't fault them. And here's what I'd say. There's a lot of guys that are coming up in this next year that are going to have to make similar decisions. And if the Rams have to cut guys the same way they did James uh, Laurinaitis, Chris Long, and Jared Cook, 
maybe they have to cut guys that we assume are going to be part of this team moving forward, and they're not. Um, it's just one of those things that's tough. No, what what it, do we got left on this podcast? Yeah, Go that's ahead. that. That's really it. I was going to say we got to wind down here. We got about five minutes remaining, but I I think you hit the nail on the head. There's so much unknown in the future that it's almost scary to say this. At least with Jeff Fisher, you know what you're going to get, and you have this squad, and then you just hope. Right. You just have to hope that this guy can do what he did, and that's replicate a couple ten win seasons with the right right quarterback, ten plus one seasons. So. I, I don't know if the Rams ever reached that threshold. Uh, it certainly, you know what that tells me? The, the one thing that I've heard in there is that the Rams have an amazing eye for talent at every position except for one. And that's quarterback. Quarterback, obviously. And it's looking and it's looking like Jared Goff may or may not be the latest in, in a long line of uh, this. And they all fit a mold, don't they? Look at them. Yeah. Air raid type guys. Sam Bradford came from an offense that I think broke the record for the number. Yeah, that record's long since gone, but the number of 60 sure. point games in a season, I think Baylor broke that one um, during the uh, soon to be vacated Bryles era. I'm sure. sure. But remember who his running back was at the time. Yeah. DeMarco Murray, who came to the NFL and behind the Cowboys offensive line. He's not know, having a bad the, year for the Titans. I mean, he's their leading went, rusher. Got about 807 yards. I know that because I just happened to be looking at the Titans stats. That is not a stat I keep on my head. <laughs> I was going to say very impressive that you just know that offhand. The The bigger piece was that he, he said that, you know, he met the NFL's league leading rushing yards because he was running behind the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. He leaves and goes to Philadelphia and they put that uh, offensive line in front of him. And now all of a sudden he has his production. And then what happens? The Dallas Cowboys draft Ezekiel Elliott. Now he's doing incredible. And everybody talks about what a talent Ezekiel Elliott. It's not the, it's not Ezekiel Elliott. It's not DeMarco Murray. It's a system. It's an offensive line. And because the Rams don't have it, Despite the fact we've got Todd Gurley, you're just stuck with what you've got, and you, you you got to figure out a way to execute a running game that doesn't have an offensive line or a system to make the most of it. I feel like you're stuck with what you've got, whether you like it or not, is really the theme of the day. Well, it's it well, and that's the problem is that's it's the theme of the season, despite the fact that they had a draft to not be the theme. That you, we didn't have to be stuck with what we got. We could we could have done many other things. We could have, we could have taken this franchise in many other directions, but we chose this one, and this is where we are: three and five with a running game that isn't working, despite having Todd Gurley, and one of the worst offenses in the NFL, despite having the opportunity to trade up and draft the number one overall pick as a quarterback. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that you would think they would be oh so much better at by now, and 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 yet here we are. As you've said, it's the problem with the Fisher era is that I, I don't. Maybe they need to go out and get a quarterback whisper. Maybe that needs to be what we give the Rams for Christmas. Maybe we should send well, them Steve Clarkson if yeah, he's the quarterback. Well, they did that. Right? With Chris, they, tried to do that with Chris Winkie and they even started with that with Dick Curl early on in Sam Bradford's 
the career. They, they've tried that too. They've tried the quarterback whisperer. I think that the biggest problem, and I, I said this when they traded for the number one overall pick before we knew it was, it was even going to be for Jared Goff, is that people said, "Did you do you agree that it made sense to trade up for the number one overall pick to get Jared Goff? And what I said was, it's the only thing they haven't done. They've done everything else. They've drafted running backs. They traded up to draft for wide receivers. They drafted offensive linemen. They've signed everybody through free agency. They've added everybody in every way that they could to manage the roster. The one thing they haven't done is go all in on a quarterback. They did that for Sam Bradford when he was number one overall, obviously, in 2010. Jeff Fisher never had that opportunity. He did that this year for Jared Goff. And the fact that he's sitting him on the bench tells you everything you need to know, that the Rams aren't uh, committed to overhauling the trajectory of the franchise. And I think that's uh, a that, that seems sad, a fair way to place podcast, it. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, it is what it is, dude. It, yeah. I mean, you thought you were coming here for a, an uplifting episode you forgot who you support They're three and five so, yeah we're gonna let you we're just gonna let you be depressed for the rest of the night so you know if you want to send hate mail to us or send uh send angry tweets at us you can find uh, joe on twitter at 3k underscore i can be found on twitter next year i think in august uh yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm pushing. I'm trying to make it a year without going on Twitter. I'm trying to see if I can do it. Uh, but uh, I'll be back at Fight on Twist. And one quick programming note: uh, there will actually be another podcast that we're going to be dropping on the site tomorrow. And I'm going to butcher the name right now because I haven't had the chance to talk to him and hear him pronounce it. But I believe it's Kian uh, Fahey will be joining us to talk basically all the X's and O's you can handle. And Joe, since he's a lame ass and has a job, can't do it. So I'm going to do it with Mycin. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to be dropping that on the show. So those of you who want an X's and O's breakdown as to where this team is a failing, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, any other articles or anything going up this week that we got to look for, Joe? Uh, shout out first to JB Long for coming on with us, obviously. Voice of the Rams, 710 ESPN LA. Uh, at JB underscore Long and at Rams Radio on Instagram. Um, shout out to Miss Son for coming on with you. To, and shout out to Keen for coming on. Uh, Going to be fun. I'm interested in listening to that since I can't be on. Uh, stuff that we got coming up. I mean, here's the thing is that. You know, you get into the season, you get into this routine of posting the same things. And, you know, we got five Rams to watch, five Jets to watch. You got the film room preview that'll be coming up from Derek. You've got the staff predictions that'll be coming up. We do this over and over. The, the, the problem for the Rams is we've gotten into this rut where, as fans, we're in the same place. I was talking to Lanny about it, Brent Lancaster, who runs our Twitter account, everybody knows him, at Lanny OSU. Um, the, the Rams are one of only two teams to never make the playoffs since they've had an SB Nation blog. And we're the only team, we're the only SB Nation blog that follows a team that has never covered a winning season. Rob, who you mentioned earlier, Rob Forehand, who runs our Facebook page, uh, hit us up, like us, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Tertial Times. Um, 
We're the, we're the we're the only site that's never covered winning football. How pathetic is that, man? That that over that over ten years, we're the only site that hasn't covered winning football. We're three and five, and so you know, it's just one of those things. When you ask me what's coming up, we already know what's coming up. We're, people we're make fun of the Browns too. That's the scary part. Like jokes aside, people and the Browns, mock the Browns, the Browns but... won. They made the play. The Browns are. <laughs> The Browns are a worse team than we are, but they haven't had the worst run over the last 10 years that we've had. And then that's sad. It's where we are. It's where we are as Rams fans. And the fact that we haven't gotten it right. We were, we were, we were at a low point four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, we recovered from that. We got to the Jeff Fisher era and we're stuck and we got to find a way out. And that's what, uh, what, you know, it, it's not just us. It's JB Long. He's the voice of the Rams. He's got to be able to document it. It's, you know, like we talked about Alden Gonzalez and Rich Hammond and Vinny Bonsignore and obviously Gary Klein and Lindsey Theory and everybody else that's got to cover them as journalists that have to deal with uh, this franchise that has to cover the fact that they can't get right on behalf of the fans. And what I'm most interested in, and I, and I mean this, we didn't talk about we talked about Bakersfield. What I'm most interested in, Josh, is if the Rams don't start getting right real quick at three and five, how Los Angeles treats them. I get it. The novelty of having NFL football. I talk, I mentioned I talked to my sister who lives in L.A. Uh, and she was uh, saying that, the, you know, the people that she hangs out with, the people that she knows that some of them have gone to rain games. Some have talked about going to it, but they just don't care. If the, if the rain once the novelty wears off at whatever point that wears off, how quickly do the Rams become an afterthought in the Los Angeles sports zeitgeist? And they, they, that's one of those things that I, that I am looking forward to late November and December podcasts, which I am extremely experienced in, in dealing with Rams discussions. Is once the season's gone, once the football's gone. How do you talk about moving forward and getting ready for the next year? And so it is what it is, man. Three and five headed to New York, dealing with the Jets. Since we had JB Long, we didn't get a talk, chance to talk to Scott Salmon or anybody else from Gangrene Nation. But I encourage everybody else to finish uh, uh, their week by following them over there at Gangrene Nation. Hit them up on Twitter. Hit them up on Facebook. Whatever. Hit them up on the site. And uh, it is what it is. Rams, Jets, week 10. This <laughs> I'd ask you, Josh, what what do you think, man? The Rams at three and six, how much different is that than three and one? Three and six, a a five-game losing streak. How do you think people will take that? Well, I'll tell you this much. I know that if I were a head coach in the NFL, had four losing seasons under my belt with the previous organization, and was three and six to start my fifth season... I'd probably be fired tomorrow. Uh, well, I guess not tomorrow because the game has to happen, but Monday for sure. Maybe even Sunday night. Yeah. I mean. And yet, if you were a head coach of the Rams, you'd have job security for some time. True. Arson Vanger. Is what it is. Five. Find us on Twitter. We're out. Thank you. 
Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.